Welcome to the Digital Investors Podcast with Matt and Liz Rad, where we explore how you can invest in the new digital economy with expert interviews, proven strategies, and stories of success. Get inspired to grow your portfolio for the future. G'day, everyone, and welcome to the Digital Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rad. Now, today we're going to be looking at the bigger game when it comes to website sales, sales in the tens of millions of dollars, and what it takes to grow and sell these multi-million dollar website or online businesses. So my guest today, Isaac Porter, specializes in selling online businesses up to $300 million. Yes, you heard it right, up to $300 million. Isaac's been in M&A for the last 20 years. He's analyzed thousands of deals. And not only that, he has a network of over a million buyers, including family offices, high net worths, private equity firms. So Isaac has a lot of experience, needless to say, looking at these big multi-million dollar businesses. So Isaac, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, Matt, thanks for having me. It's good to, good to talk with you again. Yeah, so Isaac, you should mention, who do you work with to facilitate those deals? So I, I uh, work with website closers. I'm a, uh, a website closers broker and franchisee, and uh, all of my transactions are represented through the website closers platform. My my average transaction side uh, size, excluding two really big deals that I've listed this year, has been about eight million dollars. About eight million dollars, and yeah, which which, and which then, we consider to be um, lower mar- lower middle market here. So kind of at the you know, the large end of small business or the small bit end of little, a small end of big business. Awesome. And then, and then also you're the host of the Website Closers podcast, the Deal Closer podcast. Yeah, I am. Yeah, we've been doing that for um, going on three years. So Isaac, what, what we want to look at today is based on your extensive experience, 20 years experience analyzing thousands of businesses and particularly looking at these multi-million dollar websites, we want to see some insights into what they like to grow and what are they like to also sell and structure those deals from what you're seeing. Because you you do lots of these bigger deals. Typically, uh, over the last few years, what have you seen in the marketplace? Like, is there what what are the sweet spots that you're working in where there's the most activity? So we've, we've seen a lot of uh, good transaction flow and strong multiples in the digital agency space. We've represented a number of okay. um, digital marketing, performance marketing, SEO, backlink building. Um, we've done some content sites like we talked about, but, you know, service-based, online service-based businesses that have some form of recurring revenue um, are very desirable right now. Uh, we've certainly seen a uh, a lot of e-commerce brands, uh, in particular in 2021 and 2022, we were getting really strong valuations in uh, in e-commerce brands. We still continue to represent um, a number of larger brands. Uh, we've seen the multiples come down about 40 basis points over the last 12 months, but still we're getting deals done with good valuations. The deal structures have changed a little bit. Um, that, yeah, those, that's those, are really kind of, those are kind of like two of our big key focus areas from an industry perspective. Awesome. So, Isaac, this is going to be music to the ears of a lot of our listeners here because we, we teach um, a lot of our members are very successful at running digital agencies, particularly here in Australia. 
And I keep saying to everyone, look, th this trend is coming to Australia that we're seeing in America where digital agencies are suddenly, you know, the valuations are going, well, they're very attractive. So what's the what's the, the typical size digital agency that you're helping to facilitate the sale of um, over there in America? You know, we, we've represented agencies of all sizes. What I'm working on myself and with my business partner are, are agencies that are in the five to $20 million range. Um, awesome. And I think part of what we've seen, Matt, driving valuations is strategic buyers who are either funded private equity groups that have an existing platform investment of some type of digital agency and they're, they're bolting onto that um, yep. or other large agencies that are just looking to acquire customers. And, and I think what's driving some of the thesis for those investors is there's, there's a lot of new technology out there that can create efficiencies within agencies. So they're looking at ways that they can acquire agencies, you know, keep the human capital talent, but cut out some of the operational overhead. Um, mm -hmm. And then they're looking at cross service, uh, you know, cross sales of, of, you know, if I'm a SEO agency and I buy a backlake agency, I can sell, um, I can sell to, to both sides of the customers or I can, I can sell, you know, social media marketing services to SEO clients as well, things like that. So let, let's have a look first at the sellers of these, say, digital agencies. How long would those yeah. businesses have been around in the five to 10 mil range? Yeah, we're, we're seeing a lot that are, you know, five to 10 years old. That's been, that's been that's a pretty old. common theme in the digital agency space. You know, what the, what the buyers are looking for is the book of business and the team. Um, team. And, and so those companies that have had a little bit more of a track record tend to have a, a stable book of business and a, and a pretty well-developed team. And, and are these, like, when, when you do the analysis on them, are they digital agencies that were, you know, started out uh, building websites for small local businesses or are they specialized in certain niches or is it, or is it like, what's their typical business model? Um, that's interesting. I think that a lot of these companies did start with some kind of web dev. I think the, the, the reason that they've gone away from you know, website development is that tends to be kind of non-recurring work. It's, it's pretty low margin, but it is a good fu funnel to get customers into a business. What sort of EBITs are they doing? So anyone listening, EBIT is earnings before interest and tax. Um, so basically profits. What sort of profits are these multi-million dollar digital agencies typically doing per annum? I think the sweet spot for us, and again, there, there, there are agencies out there across the entire gamut of, you know, from, from not profitable to tens of millions of dollars profit. But I think where we've seen really good buyer interest is in the one to $5 million of EBIT space. Um, that okay, tends so to bring one in to five mil yeah. profits, mm -hmm. and at that level, Isaac, what what's the typical staffing that you've seen for those sorts of digital agencies? Um, that's also changing right now dramatically because a lot of the buyers are looking at ways to reduce, you know, non-customer facing staff or 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 outsource. We're seeing a lot of uh, of talent like in creatives and and uh, media buying being outsourced and automated so um you know but but just in general the, those agencies have 20 to 50 employees um they're yep. geographically dispersed at least some portion of that staff is going to be located in um you know in the philippines or in india pakistan um okay. and yep and uh and then often at least in the u.s what we're seeing is the 
you know, the client relationship managers or the, the people who are directly talking and part of the sales staff are based in the U.S. They typically yep. don't have a physical office at this point. Most of them have gone to a, a full work from home model, which is mm -hmm. also makes it easier to attract talent because, um, you, you know, you can hire them anywhere. Okay. So they're pretty, like compared to bricks and mortar businesses, they're a pretty nimble setup, really. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I did, you know, I did bricks and mortar M&A for a big part of my career. And I think, I think that's a common theme across, you know, what I call digitally native businesses, right? Is they're, yep. they're, they're relatively lower overhead, higher margin, um, just, just kind of a flatter org structure in general. And, and so turning to the buyers then, that's obviously why they're attracted to them. Are these digital agencies, are they easy to sell as an M&A expert, like at that yeah. level, you know, in the multi-million yeah. dollar range? They're easy to find buyers for. Um, we have really strong responses and we'll have, you know, in, a, in, a, in an agency with, you know, two to $5 million EBIT, we're going to get a lot of offers on those deals. Um, mm -hmm. Closing the closing a, any deal, any transaction is always is always a, a significant amount of work. So I wouldn't necessarily say that part is easy, but you know, getting through due diligence and getting to the closing table takes effort. But we have a very high closing rate, so uh, okay. I would say that our you know our success rate on closing listings that we represent is over eighty percent. So presumably, as you mentioned, you've got lots of buyers there. That's pretty easy to get a lot of interest in. A digital agency or an online business with an EBIT of a mil plus, mil to five mil. Yeah, that, that's most not a most sellers getting... anticipate that the hardest thing to do will be finding a buyer, and that in fact yeah. is not not the case for us. Finding the buyer is generally the easy part. Finding multiple buyers is is relatively easy, and we've got a we've got a process to do that, and we've got a you know we cast a broad net and we do a lot of strategic outreach, so we know how to get the buyers. I think where where most of our work comes in. And, and the, I think the value that we add through the process as as brokers is in negotiating the terms of the deal to get to yeah. agreement. So we're looking often at multiple offers and using those offers to negotiate back and forth with sellers and buyers and try to get to a deal that makes sense for for both sides. Uh, and then getting through closing. So once you go under contract, you've got an assigned LOI. Everybody's agreed to the high level business terms. You go through the due diligence process, financial due diligence, legal due diligence tax due diligence a lot of the companies we have uh that we represent you know have they have operations in more than one uh country so we have we have you know attorneys that are licensed in in multiple um mm -hmm. geographies involved and so that that's where a lot of the work comes in of getting those deals across the finish line and that's where we that's where we spend more most of the time and so say on that 150 million business that, that that's an online marketplace is that easy to find potential buyers for something like that? What what's happening at that space? So there's there are fewer buyers uh, for for that particular deal because it that it's got some uniqueness to it. I think when when we look at larger deals, you know we don't uh, you don't need a hundred buyers to sell a hundred and fifty no. million dollar company, right? You need you need five or six buyers. It, it's it's very helpful to have more than one. You really only need one but buyer, yeah. Um, yeah, but two. it's very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> It's very helpful in a transaction, as as you know from your experience, Matt, to have at least two buyers. Then you've got then you've got a process. When you're dealing direct with only one other buyer, um, 
neither side has has very much leverage and it can be it can be hard to get to negotiation it can be hard for sellers to kind of get a good read on the market and know if they're getting fair valuation and the the typical buyers at that 100 mil plus range there are almost all private equity um private equity okay. groups or family offices so these are yeah. uh institutional buyers they're professional buyers they've acquired generally other um businesses with a similar business structure so they're experienced buyers in this space that are funded with capital from you know either private capital or sometimes they've got bank facility bank bank debt vast majority of them have private capital for someone listening to this wanting to get into say a, a four million dollar website business can we look at how some of the numbers might work because in america it's a, it it there's more access to capital for these businesses as well. So can we look at, like, like do you have an example we could talk about how the numbers yeah. would work for a $4 yeah, million sure. dollar yeah. business acquisition? Yeah, and I can I can give you a, an example that we um, we published recently as kind of a, a white paper on on a deal structure for, a, for an e-commerce site that we sold. Um, this was a, uh, an e-commerce brand, um, about 30% of their traffic is coming from paid media. We listed the business um, for right around $4 million or actually listed for a little bit over $4 million. I think the, the, the closing transaction was in that, that range. Um, $800,000 of earnings. So EBIT, $800,000 of EBIT in the, in the trailing 12 months periods. The last, the last year, the company had made about 800,000 and the business was growing at a 30% growth rate. Um, nice. One of the things like you mentioned, Matt, is that we do have access to for USA based businesses and USA based buyers. We have access to the Small Business Loan Administration Program. Um, and, and, and we the, the program we use is called the 7A Loan Program. And it's it's basically you can get loans for financing businesses. Um, you can get yep. uh, financing up to 90 percent, in fact, to, to acquire a business and a 10 year a 10 year payback. So that's really um, nice. compelling. We sell businesses all over the world, uh, and the SBA loan uh, SBA loan program doesn't apply to those businesses. And there's there's plenty of ways to get those deals done too. We have we have uh, private investors, and there's you know we can structure deals with some portion of stellar financing and things like that. But in this particular deal, the buyer um, put down four hundred thousand dollars, and mm -hmm. the seller held a six hundred thousand dollar promissory note. Uh, mm -hmm. and the bank provided a $3 million loan. So that comes up with your $4 million uh, purchase price. Okay. Um, and the interesting thing was that the company was throwing off $800,000 in, in profit. So after the, the loan payments, the loan payments were about $400,000 a year. Um, yep. And after the loan payments, there's $400,000 of net, you know, free cash flow. Uh, uh, left over. So the, the, the buyer returned her cash on cash investment. She put in 400,000, she returned 400,000 to herself in the first 12 months. So it was a hundred percent cash on cash return in 12 months. And then we took in this example that we published, we, we looked at, you know, what, if that business continues to grow at, a, at the 30% rate, which it had for the last two years, um, what that would look like in five years. And yeah, it's a pretty compelling investment thesis. Uh, you know, yeah. even if it's, um, even if you didn't get all the way to that growth rate, but at a 30% compounded annual growth rate, that, that company, 
um, would grow to about two and a half million dollars in earnings uh, in, in less than five years and have a valuation of about 12 and a half million dollars. So for an initial wow. investment, plus the buyer, the buyer then would have been making cash flow, um, yeah, of over, you know, net over $400,000 a year, plus then the growth, yeah. you know, for that four year period following when she returned her initial investment and, you know, had a, uh, in excess of a 20, 20 X return in five years. Yep. And that's how you do it. 20 X return. And, and the buyer, who was she? Like you see your typical buyer down at that, you know, four to five mil range. Yeah. The, the buyer was a, uh, a, a professional who was looking to get out of a corp, corporate America, you know, had, yep. had accumulated some savings and, and leveraged it with, with a loan and, and bought herself a, a business to operate. The seller helped her transition the business and with training for a transitional period and, you know, that's a, that's a good success story. And had she, out of interest, Isaac, had she, had she ever had much experience running an e-com business or anything? Or did, did, did the seller basically teach her the, the ropes? Uh, she did have experience in the space. She she knew about, you know, paid traffic and she, she was oh, yeah. uh, technically somewhat sophisticated. It wasn't a complete newbie. We, we certainly have sold businesses to people without um, a lot of experience. I think one of the things I always advise the buyers is, you know, if you don't have experience, you need a good mentor. You need you need some training yeah. and a coach, yeah, yeah. To, to help you kind of get ramped up. And um, you know, most people will start off with a relatively smaller deal and build up. In this case, she, yeah. she had owned some other websites that had given her confidence and some skill set. Skill set. Mm -hmm. And this was this was her first real purchase. But um, yep. yeah, it wasn't wasn't a complete, you know. That, that is, Isaac, that's the perfect journey that we love to teach here is, and thank you for sharing that story, that you start out, if you're listening to this, start out small, like Isaac said, get some experience, and then you can step into these bigger businesses. And if you're lucky enough to be in America, it is a lot easier to get financing to, um, to buy websites. Now, that's an interesting space because we don't have that here. What, how much can you borrow on these SBA loans? SBA loan program goes up to five million dollars, so you can you can borrow five million dollars, which you know means you could foreseeably get into a transaction of six, seven, eight million dollars if you had some capital to put down and sell the note. An EBIT perspective, you know, companies generating two to five million dollars in EBIT are great businesses for us to sell. From a transaction yeah. size, you know, four to twenty million is really. Uh, the, the space that we're doing a lot of volume in four to $20 million of enterprise value. Um, and, yeah. and so what we, there, that's just what I see is there, there are a few inflection points and we started talking about this um, previously yeah. uh, as well, but you know, in that under a million dollars of earning space. So the example we just talked about is a company making $800,000 a year. Um, yeah. Those businesses are often being acquired by, you know, individuals who maybe have a couple other businesses in the space, but they're, they're buying those with SBA loans and they're buying them to operate themselves or, or add their team into. Once you get over a million dollars in earnings, we're seeing uh, quite a lot of buyers who are the institutional buyers that are talking about that I was talking about earlier that are, um, you know, private equity strategic acquirers that have a, a hold an existing holdings or portfolio business and they're they're bolting on you know a one or two million dollar earning business onto that, or a family office that has uh, maybe wants to enter the space with a platform. 
There's also this distinction between bolt-on and platform that you'll hear uh, a lot of, uh, you know, what I'd call institutional, I use the term institutional investors to, to encompass like private equity and family office. Um, but, you know, if it's, if it's kind of more than $3 million in earnings, so three to $5 million in earnings, a lot of businesses view that as a platform, like that business can stand on its own and be gotcha. part of our portfolio. If it's under $3 million in earnings, they're probably going to look for another business and they're going to bolt that on. You know, you, you have a, you have maybe an existing platform that's generating $3 million of earnings and we're going to go out and buy businesses making a million, 2 million, 3 million. And we're going to add those in that it, where they make sense. And, and we're going to try to come up with a business that's, you know, consolidated has $10 million in earnings and then they'll probably resell that. And then they'll sell it. Perfect. So that's basically the M and A game in a nutshell. At that yeah, level. because what what you get is it's you know it's called multiple expansion. So the as the yep. businesses get bigger, the multiples that buyers get pay up. get larger. And so you know the classic private equity investment strategy is you you know you buy business that you pay three or four times. You put a couple of yep. these businesses together. The op, you know you have to you have to execute on that uh, consolidation of the operations. And then you end up with a business that is worth six or seven times its, its earnings. So you you create value through combining the cash flows of these businesses. And then if and, you can if you can then additionally organically grow the businesses, that's when you can get into these really really strict significant returns. Yeah, really big. So and that's why you were saying to me earlier, you're seeing that inflection point at around two mil. Is that? You said that's what yeah, so two, two million is an inflection point for a couple of reasons. One is that you start, you bring in institutional investors who are looking for these bolt on and some, some even in the 2 million space will, will have a platform company that can stand on its own with 2 million yep. earnings. And then you also have access to non SBA capital. So, uh, banks, gotcha. commercial banks will lend on, you know, what we call EV reliant or collateral light uh loan oh, for companies generating more than two million in in, in earnings. And so yeah, yeah, so we think should, about it. Let's clarify, Isaac, if you're listening to this, yeah. when Isaac and I are talking two million, we're talking profit. So EBIT, not yes. not not sales. This is yes. actual profit. These are getting two million in profit. That's right. And and most of these digitally native businesses don't have a lot of tangible assets like a brick and mortar company yeah. might have, right? They don't have forklifts and they often don't yeah, own yeah. real estate. They, uh, they don't have a fleet of trucks driving around or, you know, their, their biggest asset is typically going to be inventory and receivables. And then they've got intangible assets of the value of the brand trademarks and any intellectual property. But, uh, because there's not what banks like to think of as collateral is, you know, tangible physical assets located in a, in a building somewhere, these digitally native businesses don't have it. And so the banks want to see bigger businesses earning over $2 million before they're going to be comfortable gotcha. lending. Because oh, when, yeah. it, when a business has a couple million dollars of cash flow, it's, yep. it's, it's more secure. It's a, it's a more stable business that, that a bank can lend against, actually monetize the value of that cash flow and lend against that. And so they're, relying on the value of the business as their collateral rather than the assets of the business. So, so for someone listening to that, Isaac, this should be opening your eyes. If you're listening to this, that there's a whole game here that you can play. If you've got the big goal, so there's these different levels. So there's the level where you start out and you, you learn this stuff. Then there's the next level where you might get into a seven figure online business. Like your, your client did Isaac, that 
you know, she bought the four million business with four hundred thousand yep. down. Yep. But then you can start to be thinking about the next level, getting to that profit of two million above. Like Isaac said, there's an inflection point there. That's when things start to get really interesting. And at that level, really, someone should be talking to say yourself, Isaac. We might, as, we might as well give you a plug. They should yep. definitely be talking to someone like yourself or and um, or anyone at website closes, but um, also that at that level, that's in the private equity sphere. So typically someone then is raising funds and doing this at a big level. That's right. Yeah. And, and within private equity, there are, you know, there are private equity groups that are funded that have committed capital behind them. There are yep. sponsor deals where you've got, uh, investors who maybe ha are going to take some operational role in the business, but they're going to go out and try to raise capital after they get a deal under contract. Uh, and then there are family offices that are owned by uh, wealthy families who have a bunch of capital and they actually form a business entity to go out and invest their own capital and make a return on it with, with the acquisition of, of operating businesses. Awesome. So it, uh, bottom line is once you, your business becomes highly profitable, um, You've got a lot of options at every single level there when you think about it too. And and it's really interesting. I, I couldn't help but think now coming back to the beginning of our interview, this digital agency space, now it makes sense why they're so attractive because they are very profitable really. They're, they're asset light, they're, they're quite nimble, um, you know, that and the recurring income. So I'm guessing the private equity firms, does that make it a lot easier for the private equity firms in terms of borrowings as well? Having that uh, recurring uh, absolutely, income. yeah. The the, re the recurring revenue component gets lenders much more interested in the business because it it again, what a lender is going to look for is is directly related to what drives valuation, and that's stability of cash flow over time. Stability, the, yep. yeah. So the the more stable the cash flow is, the more somebody's going to be willing to give you a loan against it, and the more somebody's going to be willing to pay against it. And I I think the the extreme example of that is uh, SaaS businesses. We also sell um, software businesses. And so, you know, software, where a, a digital agency in this space of two to $5 million of EBIT might be in, you know, kind of the uh, 4.7 to 6X multiple range. Okay. Um, SaaS businesses are often going to be, you're going to hear talk, in the, even in the same size, relatively small businesses um, are going to be 6 to 10X because, what, what software has is it's got an upfront development cost and then just a cash flow cow after that. You know, you, you've got yeah. people paying your $19, $29, $39 dollars a month. And if you can sell that, those services, every, every incremental sale costs you nothing uh, at that point. So you've got to still maintain the business and keep the software up to date. But um, SaaS businesses end up getting a higher multiple because of the cash flow generation potential that they have. Digital service yeah. businesses are the, I would say, kind of the next the next step down from that of really strong multiples. But you still need a team that's constantly producing. You know, whether it is uh, if you're doing uh, performance marketing or social media marketing or SEO or backlinks, you still need a team who's out doing those things every day to perform for your clients. Um, but those clients will continue to pay you monthly for those services. That's awesome. So digital agencies are still on pretty high multiples. What did you say? 4.7 to what? To um, 4.7 to 6x is what we've been seeing over the last 12 Gee. months for these agencies that are, you know, making a couple million dollars of profit. 
Wow, that's pretty cool. So, although nothing ever beats SaaS, does it? But you know, like ten X on SaaS. But there, there are a lot. You know, we, my, my business partner and I were just presenting at an SEO conference um, two weeks ago called OMG Live yeah. down in uh, Cocoa Cocoa Beach. But the, uh, um, there are just hundreds and hundreds of these SEO agencies out there that are kind of in this space, and and it was surprising. It's it's always just surprising to me how many people don't know how much their businesses are worth. Yeah. So that, so how much they're worth. And then, and then really like, what do you need to do six months, 12 months, 24 months before you want to sell? What are the things that you can be doing um, right now that are going to add value to your business? Even if you're not planning on selling it anytime soon, if an exit is at all in your future, you know, we love to talk to businesses early and advise them on, how to set up their structure, how to set up their team, how to set up their contracts. You know, are, are your, for one, one thing that I see that's a really low hanging fruit is are your contracts assignable so that when you sell them, the buyer doesn't have to go and renew all the contracts with every yep. client you've got. Um, that's something you could put, you could put assignable, you know, what are the term, the term of the contracts, you can have a 30 day cancellation period, but if you've got a six month contract, it's viewed as more valuable than just having a 30 day renewable contract or not having a contract in place at all which a lot of companies operate without contracts. Um, but, you know, I always say, just give, just give your client a, a, a short cancellation term and have a contract in place because it will add value yeah. uh, to a buyer. And, and Isaac, I want to reiterate that for, for someone listening here, did you hear what Isaac's main bit of advice is? People don't realize how valuable the assets they're sitting on with their digital, digital businesses, whether it's a digital agency or a content site, SaaS site, e-com site. People, you know, you're in the trenches working away at it. So I guess, Isaac, you're one of the things that you guys can specialise in where you can help people is, A, get a valuation, but also, B, start thinking about the exit a year or two in advance. Are you happy to chat to people even like a year or two in advance? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And in this space, I think, you know, if, if you own a company that's worth $10 million, you need to be thinking about 12, 18 months ahead of time. Yeah. What, yep. what to do to sell it. Uh, and look, people come to us and they're ready to sell for a variety of reasons. Maybe they've had a partner that exited and we can, we'll, we're happy to take a company to market wherever it's at, right? We'll, we'll do that. But if yep. we, given the coefficient of, of some extra time, there are things we can do that it can add significantly to the valuation. We can make an exit roadmap. We can, we can form a full exit plan and show kind of on a quarterly rolling basis how that valuation will change if, if you execute on on some of the steps that that we'll advise you to take, so yeah, we're always happy to have those conversations and um, talk with people up front. And you know, in, in fact, that's how uh, almost one hundred percent of my business comes from referrals. So you know, when I right. when I work with people and kind of yep. advise them, you know, once they start to see that value, they'll that's how I get other referrals. So the having those conversations is is what we do every day. That is awesome, Isaac. So. Guys, if you're listening to this podcast and you're in that position where you've got a mil EBIT plus online business, make sure you reach out to Isaac Porter from Website Closers and we'll put your contact details at the bottom of the podcast as well, Isaac. And I want to say a big thank you for coming along as a guest on today's Digital Investor Podcast. That was awesome. Yeah, man. Anytime. I love, you know, talking, talking deals is like what I love to do. So any, anytime, happy to do it. And uh, yeah, it's been fun. 
You've been listening to a Digital Investors podcast with Matt and Liz Rad from the eBusiness Institute. If you'd like more great content, interviews and inspiration, make sure you subscribe here in your podcast app or visit digitalinvestors.com for more insights into the future of investing online.